Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. So, uh, Kara and I, and sometimes one of the girls, are watching this show on Netflix called Is It Cake? Have you guys heard of the show Is It Cake? It's amazing. How many of you have heard of the show? It is so incredible. They have these objects. They'll put them on a, a table. And yesterday we watched the 90s version of Is It Cake? And so they had like a Walkman. They had a big boombox stereo. They had Doc Martens. And they had these Doc Martin boots. And the, lady, the cake that the person made looked exactly like the boot. So you have these people... And they're trying to guess on this table which items are actually real and which are cake. And sometimes you have no idea which ones are real and which ones are cake until the guy goes up, the host of the show, he has a chef's knife, and everyone takes a guess which one's real and which one's cake. And then he starts cutting through it. And the thing that looks real so often is actually cake. It's the weirdest and freakiest and strangest thing. For some reason, they're able to make a show about this, and it's actually extremely entertaining. It's like a, it's like a baking contest show. It's fascinating because the items that look real are often cake. So I asked Bree this morning to put two tables before us this morning with one of them with fake fruit and one of them with real fruit. Also, when I was in college and we did, um, we did studio projects, uh, if it was drawing, we would often get fake fruit because you can't really tell the difference if it's really good artificial fruit. And so we would draw it. And if you're doing a studio drawing, it takes often like sometimes a couple months. So if it was real fruit, it would start to look different after, after a stretch of time. So we would have fake fruit and you couldn't really tell. In fact, Probably some of you in the back can't tell which one's fake and which one's cake. One of these is actually cake. I'm just kidding. <laughs> which one of these, if you are in the back right now, do you think, if you can see them, which one's real and which one's fake? Is this one, this one right here, is this real or is it fake? Oh, whatever, you guys. Yeah. So th- this, one's actually, this one's actually fake. So if I, this actually is a really good looking apple though. If I pick up this apple and bite into it, it is not going to be very nourishing. It's not going to be very good. It's, it's kind of hollow and it's very, very plasticky. It's not good. If I bite into this pear, it's not going to provide any type of nourishment. It's fake, but it looks real. It could pass probably for real if you guys gave me a little grace and said, yeah, we'll give you that. It looks real. But these, these over here, if I bit into one of these, I would get, it would be delicious. First of all, what is this? Oh, this is a mango? Yeah, you can have that. Um, this is, this is real. I didn't even know what that was. That's amazing. If I bit into this, it would provide genuine nourishment. It would be delicious. It would be good because it's real. Even though they both look real, only one of them is the real authentic thing that's going to provide genuine nourishment. We've read this quote before. This is a John Owen quote. He said, holiness makes a person 
a good person, useful to all, and others eat of the fruit of the Spirit that he brings forth or she brings forth continually. There's a version of Christianity where you look like a Christian, you smell like a Christian, you appear to be Christian, but other people aren't enjoying the fruit of the Spirit emanating from your life. There's things that you aren't doing that you're not supposed to do as a Christian, but when you're around other people, they don't enjoy the fruit of your life. When you're around someone who is filled with the Holy Spirit, who is the genuine article, who is surrendering more and more aspects over their, over, of their life over to God, when you're around them, you benefit from that. You benefit from the relaxed come-off that they have when everybody else is vibrating with anxiety in the world. You benefit from the sense of just peace that emanates from them, the sense of genuine love and concern for you. There's a different quality of love in people who are filled with the Spirit because the Spirit is love himself. The passage that we're going to look at today, Paul meets a group of people kind of like this artificial fruit. They appear to be Christian. They seem to be Christian. And yet he sniffs something out in them. There's something about them that is a little bit off. And he sniffs out that they're not quite, they're missing something very important, very big, very significant. We're going to find out what that is. So you can follow today along in, the, in your scriptures. We're going to look at Acts 19, 1 through 7. Or you can follow along in your, in your sermon notes. I think there's a little bit of feedback. Are you getting that? Okay. Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7. And it happened that while Apollos, or Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. Now, Apollos was someone who was a really, really good teacher, but we see in the paragraph before this, there was, he didn't have the whole story, so he wasn't teaching heresy. There's a difference between heretical teaching, which is untrue things spoken about God. There's a difference between heresy and incomplete teachings, or there's even a difference between heresy and being wrong about something. Uh, heresy has an element of slander to it. So this was, Apollos was a good teacher. He came from Alexandria in Egypt, which had a famous library. It was, it was named after Alexander the Great, and it was known as a place for a long time where a lot of intellectuals would live there and people who were um, interesting, fascinating speakers. And Apollos was from that area, and he was in Ephesus, and he taught, but he only taught about repentance. He didn't teach about being filled with the Spirit. So in the paragraph before this, we see that a wife and her husband, Priscilla and Aquila, um, heard Apollos teaching and said, you're, you're really, really good. You're eloquent with your words and you're going to be useful in the kingdom, but let us teach you the rest of it. Let us teach you the rest of it. A little bit more about that in a moment. So, but that's the background. 
Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus where Apollos was previously teaching. There he found some disciples and he said to them, see that he sniffed something out, ah, something's not quite, you're not quite completely there. He said to them, uh, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Ooh, that's a big thing to be missing as a Christian. That's fairly significant. That's like everything. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, well, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who is to come after him. That is Jesus. Let's pause there. John baptized people into this act of repentance. Which means you're turning away from the sinful things that you are doing in your life towards God. You are saying, I need forgiveness for all the stuff that I've done in my life that I shouldn't have done. I need Forgiveness for the ways that I thought that religion would save me or that being a good person would save me. I need forgiveness for all the ways that I've tried to lead my own life without counsel from God. I need forgiveness for all the ways that I've rebelled against God, knowingly and unknowingly. So that's the baptism of repentance. I'm turning away from life lived as though God doesn't exist to God. But that's not enough. And so often, sometimes as Christians, we believe that we can define our Christianity based on what we're not doing. That's not enough. And this is what Paul spots in these 12 or so Ephesians. He sees that they're satisfied simply to not be doing certain things. When we look at the Ten Commandments and we look at the ethical section of the Ten Commandments, those Ten Commandments are not just about what we're not supposed to do, it's what we are supposed to, be, to do. So instead of um, we're not supposed to lie, we're supposed to instead, it's not good enough just not to lie, we're supposed to speak truth that brings life to people. God isn't just against adultery. He's for strong families that are strengthened by the, the spousal relationship. He's not just against murdering someone. He's for being someone who participates in giving other people true life in Christ. The things that God is against, it tells us more about what he's for than what he's against. So Paul sees these people, they were baptized into the baptism of John, which means they've stopped doing certain things, they've repented from doing certain things, but he's, he's like, but there's more than just what you don't do. Let's keep reading. Verse 5, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. 
and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. They were about 12 men in all. It wasn't enough that they weren't doing certain things. There's a double grace when you become a Christian. You are forgiven for everything you've ever done and ever will do. But on top of that, you are filled with the presence of God himself through the Holy Spirit. So you begin to produce things in your life that you would have never produced apart from him. It's not just about who you aren't any longer. It's about who you have become. It's about who you are. It's about being a new creation. Now, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. I know some of you are sitting on the edge of your seats to see how am I going to talk about this. Speaking in tongues, that's an interesting topic. What's Greg going to say about that? There's a lot that could be said about that. My brain's too foggy, so we're not going to go there today. Because I've got to be really, really careful. Now, I will say this. I believe that that is a gift of the Spirit that is still active today. I also think that it's abused, and there's a lot, uh, there's a lot of false expressions of that, but it is, in my mind, in my estimation, certainly still active today. And there are a couple different versions of speaking in tongues, and we're not going to get too far into this. Um, but the version that he's talking about today, I believe, is specifically supernaturally enabled to speak languages that they didn't learn on their own. And the reason I say this is because this is a mirror of what happened in Acts 2. The same thing that gave evidence that the Holy Spirit was now alive and active in them is what happened to the apostles in Acts 2. In Acts 2 is Pentecost, which means they were all praying. All these disciples of Jesus were praying in this room. And as they were praying, like the building shook and little, it looked like little tongues of fire came down and rested on them. And it represented the Holy Spirit. And they began speaking in different tongues. And when they were speaking in different tongues, these were Galileans who were speaking in their far removed original languages so people were listening to this like how is how are they speaking in their original native languages if they these are galilean people how are they doing that they were supernaturally empowered by the holy spirit to do that that'd be like me like somewhere way down the line in my family tree is german it'd be like me being filled with the spirit and beginning to proclaim amazing things about god in german in fact, it would be a miracle for me if I studied German for five years and was able to say a sentence. And I mean, that would be a miracle. So for me, just to be able to, to speak in German and, and prophecy in this, in this way, in the same way it did in, at Pentecost, simply means saying wonderful, amazing things about God in German. That's a miracle. And there's things that happen um, Today, where there's missionaries, there's stories, you could probably Google and find stories where missionaries are trying to reach an, un, an unreached people group and they have a, a language that the missionaries haven't studied and they're supernaturally given capacity to speak that language and share the gospel with these people. There's things like that that still do happen, but the point in this passage 
is that they were supernaturally enabled by the Spirit to do something that they weren't able to do before. It was evidence for them that the Holy Spirit had filled them. That God Himself was present in their lives in a unique way. So what does this passage say to us today? There are other ways that we demonstrate that we've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And so let's look at your notes and let's see what God has for us in this passage. The first fill in the blank, and you're just going to, there's no screen, so you have to really pay attention. All right, so I'll warn you when there's a fill in the blank. There's a fill in the blank. Are you ready for it? This passage challenges us to examine ourselves to see where the Holy Spirit is active in our lives. This passage challenges us to examine ourselves to see where the Holy Spirit is active in our lives. The Holy Spirit becomes active where we surrender things to him. So in college, I remember when I started to get really serious, well, seriously considering if I would surrender like every aspect of my life to God, which was a really difficult decision for me, and it's one that you make once and then a million times. But I remember talking to the guy who was discipling me, and I said, you know, the basketball team where I was, where I was playing in college at that time had, it was like a real party culture. It was like everybody on the team, it was, that was just the culture that we had. And if you were playing basketball, the team is expected that you would live that same type of culture. And if you didn't, you were kind of on the outside. It was just expected. And I remember talking with the guy who was discipling me about this. And I said, I don't know if I really want to give that up. That's giving up a lot. And I don't really feel like I want to give that up. And, and he said, when you surrender that to God, over time, he will begin to open your eyes to how vain and just empty that lifestyle is. And you'll actually get a distaste for it. You will no longer want to do that. God will take your desire away. And he'll transform you. But you have to surrender first. He's, Jesus isn't going to just take it away magically and then you don't want to ever do that again. You have to have this act of surrender and then God will take that desire away and he'll transform you in a very real way. That's something that cannot be faked. It's a way that you can invite the Holy Spirit to empower you in a way that nothing else has ever been able to change you. And it'll be interesting for your friends to see what they say. It's not only us who live lives that are completely empowered by the Holy Spirit. Did you ever think about this? Jesus' life, every moment of Jesus' life was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Every moment of his life was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, there, it, it's a really, it's a strange thing to really think through theologically that Jesus is God made flesh. As a human being, completely God and completely 
man at the same time, not 50% God, 50% man. He's completely God and completely man, and yet at the same time, his life was also completely empowered by the Holy Spirit. At Jesus' birth, when he was conceived, it was the Holy Spirit that passed over Mary. When Jesus was baptized, the heavens opened up and the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and rested on him. Didn't go away, didn't leave. The Holy Spirit rested on him. After he was baptized, Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness and empowered him to resist temptation through Scripture that he had memorized. The Holy Spirit empowered Jesus' teaching ministry. The Holy Spirit empowered Jesus' healing ministry. The Holy Spirit empowered Jesus' war against evil where he would walk around and people would come up to him and come out of the shadows possessed by demons and he would tell them to leave. Every moment of Jesus' life was empowered and led by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. We too are filled with that same Holy Spirit. Now we aren't filled, you aren't filled with the Holy Spirit to the same degree that Jesus was. You know how I know that? Because you're not perfect yet. Jesus was completely filled, every second of his life, completely filled and overflowing with the Holy Spirit. Completely empowered with the Holy Spirit. He was perfect. Now one day we will experience that overwhelming, um, benevolent control of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But we're not there yet because we still mess up. You can think of it this way. One of my professors said, we have the same electricity flowing through us that Jesus had, but he had a higher voltage. So same electricity, different voltage. Voltage was turned up 100% for Jesus. Ah, Maybe we're, we're 43%, depending if you're having a really good day. You're like 43% empowered by the Holy Spirit. But the potential is... That every moment of our lives, every aspect of our lives can be empowered by the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. That's an interesting thing. I want to read one of the quotes from my professor. This, is, um, this corrects some of the ways that we sometimes think about living a life that's empowered by the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes, this is Michael Allen, oftentimes... Life is going to feel thoroughly and painfully mundane. Is anyone tracking so far? You feeling that? Like someday, just the, the thing that kills me about life is not always the really big bad things that happen. It's just the, the over and overness of life. Jesus must have been tempted in feeling that way, showing up to the carpentry workshop every day with his dad when he was younger. He must have been tempted to want to escape it and go experience other things, bigger things, more exciting things. The Spirit enabled him for every moment of his life to remain faithful, present, consistent. Consistency is a powerful mark of the Holy Spirit, someone who shows up every day to their job. It's an incredible mark of the Holy Spirit's presence and activity in your life. We look for the big things, but that's where it's at. In the mundaneness of life is where you really see the power of God at work in you. The Spirit does the same for us. 
You can't listen patiently to your spouse unless the Spirit is keeping you holy. You don't honor your boss consistently over the long haul through all the meetings, etc. if the Spirit isn't empowering you to treat others in a loving and patient way. You don't make it as a human unless the Spirit is empowering you, not only the big and powerful moments, but in all the moments, even the mundane moments. The Spirit, this is important, the Spirit is not a tugboat that gives you a tug when necessary. The Spirit is always sustaining. In other words, the Spirit doesn't get involved when life gets, act, when life gets difficult. The Spirit is always active, always involved. There's a really goofy, I think it's a TikTok, where this, someone's like saying, Holy Spirit, activate, activate. You guys seen that? Activate. Holy Spirit, activate. It's like the most hilarious thing. And I can't, like, I think, like, somewhere along the line, someone was serious when they, st- when they started that trend. And it's like, okay, I'm facing something really difficult. I need you to activate Holy Spirit. Like, it's the superpower, this tugboat that's going to get you through this, this difficult time. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God in his person, with you, through everything, sustaining you through everything, not just in special moments when you, when you really need him. There are certain moments that the Spirit's work is particularly potent. But John 1 says the Spirit rests and remains on Jesus the entire time. So everything that Jesus did as a human was sustained by the Spirit. Life lived faithfully before God is life in the Spirit, all of it. It's true for Jesus and it's true for us, end quote. What type of power is available to you to overcome sin? What type of power is available to you to be patient and kind at the end of the day when you're exhausted? What type of power is available to you to to live the life that God has put in front of you consistently and without complaint? What type of power is available to you to be good when no one's watching? Romans 8.11 tells us what type of power is available to us. It says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and active in you. Where you surrender your life to him, he becomes active. And the evidence of Christ's manifestation in our lives through the Holy Spirit should be just as real as the difference between that pile of fruit and that pile of fruit. So suppose Paul came into our our sanctuary this morning. He's looking around. He's examining. Where would he see evidence that maybe the Holy Spirit isn't completely active in our lives yet? Are you a perpetual worrier? That's evidence that the Spirit isn't actually active and alive and empowering your life in that way. 
Do you have a timid personality? Well, there was a pastor in the, Old, in the New Testament named Timothy that Paul said, Timothy, God has not given you a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You're not living according to what's true in you. That's 2 Timothy 1.7. Maybe he would look and see where we're impatient, where we're disinterested, where we're apathetic, where we're dissatisfied, where we complain all areas of our life that serve as evidence to show that we are not yet empowered by the Holy Spirit in those areas. We're going to start introducing these, thing called, these things called dog wisdom, dead old guys or gals. It's um, one of the things that has been really important to me in my walk with Christ. It's really hard to... It's, it's hard for me to read contemporary Christian books. It's a thing that I have. It's, it's, different. It, it's difficult. Like if I go to a Christian bookstore, I have a really hard time a lot of times finding a book that is genuinely going to nourish me. And it's, it's not their fault. It's my fault. It's my problem. There's probably a lot of pride in there. But there's something about reading old Christian thinkers who had more time. You know, when you read a Puritan, you're reading for someone who built his or her life around the fact that the most important thing in their life is leisurely contemplation of Scripture. They designed their lives to be able to think deeply about Scripture. So when you read things like that, it hits different. It hits different. When you read the patristic fathers, the early church fathers, it hits different. One of the guys, so I want to start introducing you to some of these people through quotes. One of these people is Didymus the Blind. He did a, a wonderful work on the Holy Spirit called On the Holy Spirit. And this is a quote from that book. In many other passages, the apostle reminds us that the gifts of God reside in the substance of the Holy Spirit, as in this one. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in your believing so that you may abound in hope, evidence of the Holy Spirit. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, God, the bestower of goods, in the power of the Spirit, grants the hope he promised to those who have the Spirit. Listen, this is evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. With joy and peace. He fills those who possess undisturbed, peaceful thoughts and have minds joyful and calm from every storm of the passions. That's enough to chew on for the next week or so. I want you to take a moment and I want you to examine yourself in this way. Just take a moment and I want you to write down where is there evidence in my life that the Holy Spirit is not empowering me? Where is there evidence in my life where the Holy Spirit is not empowering me? You're not going to share this with anybody, so just be honest. Write it down. Where are you 
restless? Where are you discontent? Where is there some type of sin that you feel like you'll never be able to overcome? Where are you living for the world instead of the kingdom? Now, I want to give you a line to write down and to reflect on for the next, let's just say, 50 years. Because this is something that's going to continue to show up because the Holy Spirit is kind. He's not going to show you everything in your life right now. He's going to show you one or two things. Here's the line. You ready for it? If it hasn't been surrendered, it isn't being empowered. If it hasn't been surrendered, it isn't being empowered. Whatever part of your life that you haven't surrendered to God yet, the Holy Spirit is not empowering it. Because surrender means you give it to God to deal with. And he won't work in an area unless given permission. If it hasn't been surrendered, it isn't being empowered. Any part of your life that hasn't been surrendered to God, you're managing it in your own strength. It's a difficult thing to do to manage your own life and a terrifying thing to do. All right, the second thing, and we'll spend less time on this one. This passage encourages us to enjoy fellowship with God through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so those are your two fill-in-the-blanks for this, number two. This passage encourages us to enjoy fellowship with God through the presence of the Holy Spirit. So you're not just being empowered, you're actually enjoying relating with God in a unique and intimate way. Through the Holy Spirit. How many of you feel like, don't actually raise your hands, but how many of you feel like it would be so much cooler if Jesus was here right now? I would take Jesus over the Holy Spirit. Like if he was here in person and I could just hang out with him, it would be so good because I can ask him all these questions I have. I would know exactly how I'm supposed to live because I would just follow him and I would just do whatever he said. If Jesus could just for the 130 or 40-ish people here in this room, whatever it is, that if we had access to Jesus all the time, man, life would be incredible. Well, Jesus actually said it would be better for him to leave and us to have the Holy Spirit. In other words, life is better for us now than when it was when Jesus was with the disciples before they had the Holy Spirit. This is in your notes. It's John 16, 5 through 7. It says, but now I'm going, I'm going to send him who sent me, Jesus talking to his disciples, and none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I've said these things to you. Sorrow has filled your heart because Jesus was coming to the end of his earthly ministry. He was going to be crucified and he was going to go to heaven to rule and reign from there. Nevertheless, he says, I tell you the truth. What does he say? 
it is to your advantage that I go away. Are you insane, Jesus? How is it, how is it beneficial for us that you leave? For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, the Holy Spirit. But if I go, I will send him to you. We have far greater potential for intimacy and union with God than the disciples had with Jesus before the Holy Spirit. You realize that? Edmund Clowney talks about this and he says, even in heaven, think about this, when Jesus comes back and how many Christians are going to be on the earth when God recreates the new heaven and the new earth, when God brings heaven to earth? How many Christians do you think? Millions? You're, you're not going to have continual time with Jesus in his bodily form. He'll, he'll be accessible, but I mean, how many people can he spend time with at a time? The person, the bodily form of Jesus, the human Jesus in the flesh, completely God, completely flesh. I mean, we, we might get a trillion years with him, us in this room right here, but he's, there's other people too. What's, what's going to be unique about heaven? Not only will Jesus be there in person, but we will be completely saturated and filled every second of the rest of eternity with the Holy Spirit. So we will be experiencing unending fellowship and union with God that brings nothing but bliss. That's heaven. It's not just a place. It's a person. That's why. If you are a Christian and filled with the Holy Spirit now, you kind of are in heaven. That's why Paul says you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You are seated with Jesus right now in heaven. You are bringing particles of heaven through the Holy Spirit's presence in your life right now everywhere you go. This is a foretaste of heaven when you experience joy and peace in a moment where you shouldn't be experiencing joy and peace, that's a foretaste of heaven. That's Jesus present to you through the Holy Spirit. All right, those two things. That's what this passage does for us. One, it challenges us to examine ourselves, to see where the Holy Spirit is active in our lives, and two, the passage encourages us to enjoy fellowship with God through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Here's your winter common practice. Every season we do a practice together as a church community that enhances our relationship with Jesus as a community. And here's what I want you to do. Here's your application. One of the ways that Christ manifests himself to us is through scripture. The Holy Spirit eats Scripture up. It nourishes the Holy Spirit in us. So if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you never read Scripture. There's a lot of latent power <laughs> that you never tap into because the, the Spirit takes Scripture and He makes it alive to you and nourishes you and directs and leads and empowers you in unique ways through Scripture. So one of our values that you're going to see when we start talking about membership is the Word. 
We want to have minds that are enriched and energized by leisurely contemplation of Scripture. That's what we want to be known for here. Not just good people who do good things, who are active in the community. That will happen with time. The Spirit will lead us into our community in unique ways. But we, first of all, spend leisurely time contemplating Scripture, chewing on it, eating it, being nourished by it. Here's the question, the last fill in the blanks, the last part of this teaching, the common practice. What scripture is coming alive and real to you through leisurely contemplation and prayer? And I want you to carry it with you on a four by six card. Listen, you'll never make it through winter in Ohio. Are you kidding me? You're gonna, if you haven't already become depressed, you will be because it's gonna stay gray for a long time. And it's gonna be April and you're gonna be angry because now we're getting another blizzard that's coming through. And it's gonna be slushy and it's gonna be nasty out. And you're gonna, you're gonna prefer the white, beautiful snow over the gray slush that we have to drive through and walk through. And you're gonna wait, you're gonna long for sunshine. You will be depressed, my friends. Welcome to Ohio. One way that we don't be overcome and overwhelmed by this is we become enlivened through deep reflection on Scripture. And when you take a passage of Scripture and spend days and weeks leisurely contemplating it, pulling it out, thinking about it, reading it, appropriating it to your life by praying it, you can get through the winter in Ohio. And it's, that's a legitimately difficult thing to do. Like I say that kind of half joking, but half like, yeah, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. This will make you alive. This is better. This is better than anything else you could do. So I want everybody in here to get a 4x6 card. You can get a 3x5 if you want, whatever. But 4x6. 4x6 is better in my mind. There's just something about it. It's like, yeah, this is, this is a great card. So Psalm 103, 13 and 14. This is what I'm reading. This is what I'm reflecting on right now. This is what I'm, I'm looking at this probably 20 times a day. I'm praying it. I'm memorizing it. I'm asking God to make it real in my life. Psalm 103, 13, 14, pick your own, don't pick this. It says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. I feel weak 95% of my life. Maybe if I had a great breakfast and I got to the gym and exercised, you know, maybe 5% of the time I feel like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a decent human being. I'm a strong human being. I can manage what life throws at me. And then something happens and I realize, oh, crap, no, I am weak. I'm dust. I'm dependent. I need a compassionate, all-powerful father figure who will get me through the painful, the difficult stuff of life, who will get me through Ohio through April, and then I'll need him for a different way after that. 
but I'm hanging on to this promise. I'm looking at this and saying, I believe you, God, make it real to me. And he is. He's bringing things to life in me. He's showing me stuff about himself that I never knew to be true. This is comforting me in ways that nothing on earth can. Because giving scripture to the Holy Spirit living in you is like pouring gasoline on a fire. That's our practice. That's what I want you to do. Go get some four by six cards. Write it out. If you're in a discipleship pod, talk with them. Share what passage you're chewing on. Don't pick a new one every day. Sit on it for several weeks. Contemplate it. Think about it throughout the day, and God will make it real to you. There's no better use of your time than that. No better use. Let me pray for us. Thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit. I like what Charles Spurgeon said, and I, I use it every Sunday morning when I'm walking up here to preach. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Because it reminds me that those places where I'm weak, those places where I'm unable, you are strong you are able. It reminds me of sitting at West Hill Baptist when I was in seventh grade, listening to Dan Wingate preach. No, I was in ninth grade, and I was dealing with panic attacks when I had to speak in public. And I remember saying to my dad how much of a nightmare it would be to have to speak every Sunday morning That'd be horrible to have a job where you have to do that. I'm reminded of my weakness, even when I come up here to preach. I'm reminded of my weakness and my need for your Spirit's presence in my life when there are sins that are difficult to overcome, when I've tried everything and can't overcome it without you. It reminds me of my I'm reminded of my weakness and my need for the Holy Spirit when I lose focus of eternity and start looking at things of this earth, things around me to make me feel satisfied, worthy. I'm reminded of the Holy Spirit when any weakness shows itself in my life, any need shows itself in my life. Would you do the same for all of us, Lord? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.